I'm Chief Philosophy Officer Lou Gold. I'm Quantum Anarchist Jim Gold. Holodeck Programmer Jen Marshall. I'm Temporal Timekeeper Mario Panaghetti. And this is Salamander Babies. It's a Star Trek podcast, but it's a different sort of Trek podcast than you might be used to, because we'll be coming from a somewhat unique perspective in the fandom. We actually like Star Trek Voyager. Each week, your crew will watch an episode suggested by one of us, then gather together to discuss it from the perspective of loyal Voyager fans. Think of it like a book club if Star Trek episodes were short, poorly written books. To kick things off and get in the habit of speaking into microphones, we sat down the other day and watched Season 2, Episode 23, The Thaw, as suggested by our resident holodeck programmer. Jen, can you give us a brief synopsis of the episode? The Voyager crew comes upon a humanoid species suspended in computer-generated hibernation. Harry Kim and Bolana Torres enter the species' dream state to stage a rescue. Inside the dream, they find the computer's consciousness personified, played by Michael McKeon. The computer personality has been corrupted by the combined fear and doubt of the hibernators. The Voyager crew must confront the nature of fear to complete their rescue of the humanoids, but also their own crew. And with that, we'll jump right into the discussion. Please note that this was our first effort recording a podcast together, and that will show. We didn't have much of a structure to the discussion, so expect some wandering into tangents, lots of talking over each other, and occasional suggestions for a podcast name. And so recording this intro after the fact. We're ironing out the kinks for future episodes, but thought it important that we post this discussion to get the show started, warts and all. Feel free to pause the podcast and go watch The Thaw now, if you'd like to follow along with our chat. And now, our discussion of the episode. Jen, what did you do to us? <laughs> what did we do to you? I liked it. We didn't even, we haven't even started this, so how did we deserve that? <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. We learned a valuable lesson about fear. To not let me pick the episodes? <laughs> <laughs> to fear you picking the episodes. I guess. I don't know. I like the weird ones, and that was one of the weirder ones. I like the weird ones, too. Oh, was... I'm a fan of the weird ones. I'm all for looking at weird ones. Yeah. Yes. Salamander babies. Yes. <laughs> Salamander that babies. That will definitely be I mean, one of them. the demon class planet is one of my yes. favorites. So. <laughs> yeah. As I recall, you're the one who subjected us to the... <laughs> episode that follows that yes where the demon class mercury crew dies (laughs) having achieved nothing yeah Yeah, they're like splatter on a windshield that's what happens i love it anyway that didn't happen in this episode (laughs) so this episode's the thaw from season two of voyager it opens with voyager discovering a planet that is the site of a recent ecological disaster I think that's why it was the thaw, right? It's like frozen over or something, like an ice age kind of planet. There was a solar flare that did something to their climate. I don't honestly understand how they mentioned it in stasis pods. So something, quickly. something hand wavium. Yeah. But yes. the people who were on the planet determined that they could survive in stasis pods for I think fifteen years. Yep. Two kilometers below the surface. Apparently, that's a place that yeah. they don't actually scan for. They specifically said, "Don't rescue us." But yeah, like if you're here early, don't wake us up. Yeah. We're going to rebuild after we get out again. But uh, Voyager actually finds them four years after their original deadline, but they're still alive in the pods. So I kind of got excited when they were, I mean, you know, just the setup where they're explaining how they're all stuck there. I got really excited because they mentioned it was a trading post, and I thought that that was going to become relevant because... Turns out, absolutely nothing from the intro is relevant. <laughs> which yes. of, which of us asked like how much of that needed to happen? Uh, yeah. I did. <laughs> no, there, there was a whole thing about the sensors, like we're scanning the surface and we're not picking anything up, and that's really interesting. And then all of a sudden, they find a power source or something like that under underground, and like, oh, we're actually we're we're picking stuff up now. And it's like they have this whole sequence of like talking about the sensors, and it 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 doesn't produce anything. Like it doesn't help. Well, it's true. It it shows that they have jobs on the on the ship. They don't do them well, but they have jobs. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I had the sensors scanning at the lowest power setting. Right. There's I, a 
ecological disaster and they don't actually look underground for anything. <laughs> I actually I actually skipped part of the episode because it actually opens with Harry Kim practicing the clarinet. Um, right. And Harry. How many episodes actually open with Harry on the clarinet? A lot. Or any track with someone playing an instrument for yeah. some reason. And it does not look at all like what it actually looks like to play that instrument. It doesn't line up with like the finger positioning or anything? No, like you don't vibrato on a clarinet with your fingers. But, I mean, I guess it looks whatever. And it's like mouth is barely on the mouthpiece. He doesn't even look like he's blowing on it. It's, oh, my gosh. Should his face be all red? And... Well, you know, you, like, when you're... actually passing through. When you're blowing through... You have to create a seal with your wait, lips, right? Yeah. Wait, so, wait, yeah. wait. What was that about Harry Kim and blow? He wasn't blowing hard <laughs> enough. He needed to blow more? He had to put more yes. of that in his mouth. Yeah, he needed to put more of it in his mouth. His, he really needed to commit. The tip, it was, he needed more than just the tip <laughs> to blow properly. <laughs> I asked the question, <laughs> why does the Federation have so many people putting on stupid, like, one-man concertos <laughs> for their crew? This, this totally reminds me of uh, the TNG mashup YouTube videos. Oh where my god, those are amazing. I loved it, and there, I, there was, like, Data doing a recital, and it was, like, rap music. Oh, god. <laughs> so We should wonderful. probably link that in the uh, description of this. So I have to say another tangent my favorite <laughs> recital is um the doctor daydreaming about singing the opera where he's describing subduing to i think i sung that to you guys earlier tuvok i understand <laughs> you are a vulcan man <laughs> you have just gone without for seven years about <laughs> oh, wow that's good that's that's excellent yep they have a rich cultural history of um one man performances, apparently. It's true. Data did poetry slams. And violin. Yeah. Riker did trombone solos, because that's something people ever want to watch. <laughs> In a small to- room. Blaring <laughs> <laughs> out. They want him to look like your cool, like your cool dad's friend that plays the trombone every and goes time, to jazz performances. Every time he sits down. <laughs> yeah, no. All he needs to do just, is sit down in a chair and he looks like the cool friend. It's true. The cool uncle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, ah, oh, Uncle Riker. Bring out your trombone. It's that time of the party. <laughs> you know when he's had a few drinks. Yeah. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Like most people would bring like a ukulele or something. No. <laughs> anyway, here's Wonderwall and trombone. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine sharing a wall with Riker? <laughs> Not just for music. Yeah. <laughs> it's like trombones and sex. <laughs> That's his memoir title. <laughs> I mean, it could just be trombone. Yeah, yeah. tromboning. Oh, <laughs> With an apostrophe at the I end. I want to write like, a, like, like an episode of TNG from the perspective of the person who lives next door to Riker. <laughs> just whoever has those quarters. Like, um, just, I want so from the perspective of people, like the random crew member who was at every one of the concertos and like treats it super seriously. Yes. It's like, I'm experiencing culture. All you people falling asleep and laughing, <laughs> just shut the f*** up. I'm trying to enjoy this. Another damn anomaly got in the way of the recital. To be fair, they don't have iPods. It's true. They don't even have Zunes. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the future is savage. Well, sh- <laughs> uh, they have is Harry Kim and his clarinet. That's all their entertainment they have in the Delta Quadrant. Okay. Oh, yes. And the well, another... Thing that I loved about the uh, the intro was uh, Tom Paris claiming that it's a warship. It wasn't yeah. designed for acoustics. Like <laughs> as they sit on their on a sectional couch. <laughs> <laughs> That's in every crew member's quarters. Yeah, yeah. Like, they get these lavish quarters that are in some apartments in New York. Everybody has like like king size beds and uh, not to mention an energy and matter converter in the yeah. corner of the room. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, everybody needs that. That's Everyone just, needs an individual. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly yeah. how it works on a warship. I wouldn't share Absolutely. mine. Like, do you mean I share my replicator? What, uh, what do you mean, yeah. a galley? I don't understand. <laughs> so, like, later in the series, um, Seven gets her own room. I think it's the last, the end of the last season, because it's one they're, like, hinting at the whole thing with, not hinting, they're fucking throwing in your face the Chicote romance. So and she's, like, setting up her, her room. And I remember thinking, like, that's so big. Where did that come from? And I realized, well, they've had a lot of people die, so maybe they just knocked out some walls. That's like, true. you know. Man, I liked her and Harry way more than her and Chicote, but whatever. I'd ship it. Yeah, I ship yeah. it. Ship it, ship it to the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where it can never return. <laughs> <laughs> so they found the stasis pods and for some reason beamed them on board. I don't understand that at all. 
like well was the land was it was it actually toxic two kilometers underground i got the impression that the surface was uninhabitable but not necessarily like radioactive or something just like basically like they destroyed the ecology of the planet yeah. the solar yeah. flare or not something to like mention that. the prime directive where the heck was that they i mm. think that's actually the reason they did the scanner stuff because they specifically mentioned that they scanned and found warp technology Mm. right at the beginning which lets them talk to that race freely. yeah more well, technology sure. is, is the divider for prime directive yeah so so neelix mm. is the one that mentions like oh this is a trading post some time ago i don't know exactly when and then um was it about 19 years and then ago? they talk about the solar flare being 19 years ago he's like yeah 19 years plus or minus and it's like so how old is neelix i want to know now he's Too like old to be dating 50 year he's <laughs> now a two-year-old. Two-year-old's gross. <laughs> What's the right age for that? <laughs> Ugh, three. How <laughs> I feel like that's still wrong. I mean, age of consent oh, between the... species that don't mature. In the well, same the rule way. is half plus seven, right? For yeah, when it's that's not true. creepy. Totally uh, creepy. Yeah. So he's definitely yeah. in the creepy realm. I mean, but, how does that work for a sorry? I know. Now? I was actually going to bring right. that up too. A and Krogan, well, they're like a thousand years old. Well, also, they, Solarians are like forty. Yeah, forty. Yeah, thirty-five, forty. That sounds about right. It's true, but Solarians don't really mate outside their race very often. But a sorry, it's because they have to fertilize eggs. Well, I mean, I guess only, not species, only, but, but yeah. they have almost a preference for it, though, right? Yeah. yeah. As a way of better understanding other races, and yeah. I like how this is another thing we're going to have to link in the. Oh, big everything Mass, Mass Effect. Effect. <laughs> Mass Effect tangent. Yes. Uh, do, you, uh, do you remember that podcast scene? spinoff number two? I think it's Mass Effect one, but there's a scene where you go into a bar and you overhear the conversations, and they're all talking about how they see the Asari looking like their own races. Yes. And it never gets addressed anywhere else in the whole series. Yes. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah Tari appear as the species that um, just with well, weird well, head tentacles. I think like like yeah, basically they appear as humanoids to humans, but they don't appear that way to Krogans or or anyone so, else. So oh. my impression of that because I, I remember that dialogue my impression was that there are minor variations that make them closer to it in the same way that they carry genetic material of whatever and that affects them in certain ways yeah it's like so, a, it's like a psychic re-envisioning to be more attractive yeah but i don't think it's like full-on female krogan thing otherwise well I sure because i mean yeah. they were they were blue and had tentacle heads so they didn't look exactly like humans to <laughs> right. humans yeah they, they they must have some shared visual between them i, I probably got the face plane or something there's probably fan art I, yeah, I could not. This reminds me of all the. Yet. <laughs> this is going on my list of to do this yeah. summer. <laughs> this reminds me of like pre uh, pre Prometheus alien xenomorph um, weird combinations. Oh yeah. Before Prometheus was even a thing, um, there were like in Alien Three they had like the dog uh, slash like yak. Uh, version. The, the, yeah, yeah, a dog got infected and, and it was like an alien dog. Yeah. Um, that sounds adorable. Yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, in a Giger kind of way, yeah. I think that was established in a comic before that. We're really going off the rails. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was like a comic that established that the xenomorph resembles the species that it inhabits. Yeah. And had, then you have the alien xenomorph predator in Alien vs. Predator. Yeah. They had a, a pretty extensive toy line based on this concept. It was fascinating to me as like a 10 year old. <laughs> I remember that. Like different animals that were also xenomorphs. Yep. So, so if you get enough generations of the xenomorph breeding, for lack of a better term, with like a human, would it basically look like a human? I mean, did you see the fourth Alien movie? No. Well, no. yeah. No, well, I, I think I did. It had a human-alien hybrid. Yeah. So, uh, I, I actually am recalling that now. Damn it. But alien? how many generations would that take? Well, that was that was genetic engineering that did that. Yeah. Well, that's bullshit right there. Yeah. Don't play God and... No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> Ripley, Ripley that movie was also an alien. Movie. Anyway. Trying to convince yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayland Yutani not to play God. I don't know how far you're going to get. No, I know. It's a sci-fi movie. It's That's like half the plot. Fun fact. Dur- uh, uh, written by Joss Whedon and directed by... Um, oh, his name is escaping me, but I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dudu directed Amelie in The City of Lost Children. Oh, not yeah. surprised. Oh, I see what you hate. <laughs> yeah. Because I like those movies, but I totally see what you're saying. It's a, it's a really consistent aesthetic that yeah. I just yeah. do not like. Oh, totally. It's it's love it or hate it. Totally. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Why did they bring them to Voyager, the safest pods? Oh, yeah. Because... To try to revive them. They were past the expiration date, and they weren't sure why they were in the pods, and they wanted to 
provide humanitarian aid. I like mm-hmm. the past expiration date. It makes me think, like, did they open them a kind of sniff test? Like, <laughs> I mean, Legally, it's called sour. a Best Buy date. <laughs> well, they, they, it's still edible. They, like, they wiped down the the windows and mm-hmm. saw that two of them had rotten. Yeah, had, had rotted. How did two of them rot? So they the died years before, and I think we're just decomposing inside the pods. But aren't, aren't they stasis so, pods? Yeah. I, I actually, <laughs> but they're stasis for I, things that are alive. Yeah, I thought about this, and um, I just imagine it's like gut bacteria that just ate them from the inside. Yeah. Like, the system wouldn't be like supporting their hearts or anything anymore because they're dead. So I think they just decompose naturally at that point. So it would probably been several years. I, I think it would have been a little more interesting if they had just been brain dead. And like the the, the pot had successfully the kept them yeah. alive. I I feel like I would have very much enjoyed an episode dedicated to them talking about the stasis pods and how they functioned. They yes. seem to learn a lot about them with just one little trip. Also, yeah. the uh, the stasis pods and how they function dovetail into um, a, a bit a thing that I said during while well, while we were watching um, that basically like this episode is sort of a weird combination of uh, Inception, The Exorcist Two. The cell and it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, those are four different directions that we don't have to go in. Well, and the Matrix so, before the Matrix. Yeah. So, Three um, years early. True. So one thing that, that I would like to pull out of that, because I have that in my notes, mm-hmm. is I would have liked it if time wasn't one-to-one, which I assume it was. Well, cause... we should probably get into why you're making those comparisons. Oh, <laughs> means, yeah, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's explain why those comparisons make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. So Black. they determined that they needed to communicate with the people who were in stasis because they were conscious but non-communicative because they were in stasis. Um, so in the ready room, Tuvok ended up having the suggestion to plug into this series of devices the, into two the, of the pods. The very sensible and rational yeah. character Tuvok yeah. decides The character that... whose entire race is written to be logical and <laughs> contemplative before I they make decisions. Was, yeah, that was probably meant to make us believe it was the best thing to do. Yeah. Or the only <laughs> yeah. thing to do. Or the only thing to do. Besides leaving them behind, which they should have. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I, I believe that, <laughs> but I think I would have loved to see Tuvok get plugged in because he either would have been as chill as fuck or no, he would have just, he would have been the fucking opposite and just. Because we've seen insane. episodes where you go inside his head and it's like this roiling sea of emotion because yeah. Vulcans don't, mm. they, they aren't unemotional, they're suppressive. Yeah. And what so, I, really, inside their heads, it's a constant battle and they're just very well trained and meditative to, to keep it down. Yeah. So, that would actually be really interesting, too. I would have loved to see the clown just, his head fucking explode <laughs> at this opposite <laughs> point. Well, he would get super powerful. That's true. And like super probably sadistic. And you know, however, however fear levels contribute to computer programming. Power. <laughs> like yeah. however any I of guess this works. If the writer decided. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry, I jumped ahead again. <laughs> I mean, go, going back a little bit. Yeah. Um, back to when they were investigating the pods and all that. Arthur, who is not, uh, not a member of this panel, uh, he might guest spot occasionally, though. To yeah. yell from across the room. <laughs> yeah. What the f*** do you guys watch? Um, uh, he, he came up with the gem. Maybe we could just keep going. You know, home? <laughs> <laughs> that thing we're doing? <laughs> it's going to already take 700 years or however many. Remember how we said we're going to stop along the way to figure out ways to get yeah. there faster? This isn't doing that. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> it, was, well, it was the perfect kind okay. of response. Okay, uh, counter to this. Maybe what they should have been doing is trying to look into the stasis and artificial intelligence and technology. stasis themselves for the yes. trip. Yes, yes, <laughs> true. Have, Just be a sleeper ship. Have the doctor Damn. pilot have them all chill in some like you know they have like a holodeck dream. Yeah, they have four hundred thousand of these stasis pods from the intro. Yeah, they they consistently run into weird shit though. That like stops if there's them or overpowers yeah, them or it's like, steals their warp core or something. Yeah, I mean, they're going to, like, eventually they're going to hit dark space. Uh, we'll, we'll probably... Re- Spoilers. Spo- oh, God. <laughs> there's I'm dark so space. Sorry. Spoilers uh, for the show that's almost 20 years old. <laughs> space gets dark at one point in the show. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so they hit dark space and, like, the ship gets attacked by dark space oh, inhabitants. So, okay. Also, the doctor may not have... At this point, he's still sort of an emerging AI. Yeah. He may not have the mental capacity to... Like innovate in terms of routes to take or wormholes to jump through. All right, counter proposal. They're basically you're basically saying put the ship on autopilot. Counter proposal. How well would that work? Have people take shifts. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a sensible way to. They do could it. have used a lot of this technology. Is what I'm saying because Bolana well, actually figured that shit out pretty so fast. I think it's an open question as to like how the stasis pods work. It, because if they still age, it's not helpful. Right. Um, I don't think it made them immortal. Did did the the one that did the distress call did he age? 
He looked the same, but we don't know how his race ages. Okay, that's hard to say. So this this takes some study. Put Kess in one of them. Make her stand up. <laughs> Put Kess in one for nine years and see if she comes oh, out. Oh no, I'm people just... won't grow plants for us. <laughs> yeah. I'm I guess just... we'd replicate like no, civilized people. She's like the perfect case study because all you have to do is throw her in there for like six months and she'll, that's like a twelfth of her, an eighteenth of her life. It's true. But you don't have a control. Like you don't have another Ocumpen to so keep on the outside. So they go get one. <laughs> what like Neelix did? Guys, we gotta, go we gotta turn one. around. Gotta, this is an experiment. It's important. We, we have a season and a half to go back, yeah. and then forget quantum slipstream. Let's kill Ocumpens. <laughs> Let's just better gather, up, gather up a handful of Ocumpens to yeah. like you know do weird experiments. For the greater on. good, they're not living fulfilling lives. It's fine. <laughs> how, how much can you fulfill in nine years? Yeah, underground with no access to the outside world. <laughs> exactly. They pretty much exist on a desert planet. They make beautiful art. Again, you don't know that <laughs> pottery. They had a lot of dirt. I don't know. <laughs> They're underground. I've got hair and ears. I guess. So they plug into the pods. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who do they decide to send to the pods? Of course. Is, so, uh, and you why? know, of course, you would want to choose uh, the person who is trained in clarinet. Budding <laughs> <laughs> clarinet who's who's trained in controlling their feelings and emotions uh, because presumably this is an th- this is an inception machine well wait what do they actually know about the machine at this they, point they, know they don't know that the people are like living in a virtual yeah. environment that's true they, they don't know that but they do know that people have been experiencing extreme fear and that they're conscious to some extent yeah. which yes. means and they were hoping to communicate with them by doing this and that the two dead people suffered uh, extreme neural trauma yeah Mm-hmm. So there are things they know. They know it's dangerous to go in there because people have died in there they, in stasis. So essentially, they've seen a number of red and yellow flags and yes. said, "Let's just throw some tech support people in there." Yeah. That's exactly what I said. They sent in IT. They sent <laughs> yeah. in an engineer and a comms person. People who I guess would know enough to interface with a program if they thought a program was running. Yep. Because they, they didn't think it was going to be a psychological problem. They thought it was going to be a technical problem. So I guess from that perspective, I kind of get it. They should never have been plugged into the Matrix. Like, yeah. there's no sensible reason that should have happened, except to make an episode of a TV show for drama. That's mm. true. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, they should have just told them that. Send the ensign. Yeah, red shirts, yep. straight in. Pretty much. They only sent yellow shirts, which was their problem. Is, yeah. Red shirts don't mean the same thing anymore. So this part, this part reminded me of The Exorcist 2. There was an Inception machine in The Exorcist world. And why do they call it that? I guess they saw Inception. <laughs> yeah, they did. And uh, Richard Burton uh, plays a priest who jumps into someone else's dream uh, in order to find somebody. They made this <laughs> yes. into a movie? This is a real movie. <laughs> this actually happened. And it's called Exorcist 2. The Exorcist 2, yes. And it's connected to Exorcist somehow. Yes. Wow. Richard Burton is, is investigating the exorcism from The Exorcist. It is it is a terrible movie. It sounds bonkers. It is. So... So he incepts into a, a, a possessed person. Yes. Priest. Absolutely no training in, in therapy. No experience using the machine. Does just he even, says, has he even done exorcisms? <laughs> no, he hasn't. <laughs> He's investigating... This is our man. Yeah. Did, did he, like, sneak in? No. How is he... So it, it, it's, was it like a rogue priest who didn't play by the rules? No. It's, <laughs> was so, there a lottery? <laughs> now I want to see this. I'm really curious. It's yeah. it's a f- weird. How is Michael now. McKean in it though? Steals the show, I assume. Yeah, he uh, plays James Earl Jones. Oh, that's a good. Guess what? What? It's the reason I mentioned that actor. I I love Michael McKean. I also love Michael McKean. Uh, and this like he works as a clown, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is not the right kind of clown for him. Okay, so here's the thing. Every time he was in a scene, I was looking at him and I was like, how do I cosplay that? Because gray and gray. It's like, it's like face paint and he's wearing like a bath wool. rugs. He's wearing yeah. like a wool, like, like a thick wool bodysuit. It looks like it a, it really warm. Looks like a bunch yeah. of blankets sewn together. But and I was and like, it has a hood too. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the, the face paint matched the cut of the costume. Yeah. So but it's he, supposed to be like continuous. But he was, also had the forehead ridges. Yeah, I would, I would be lazy on that. To match the species. Yeah, to match yeah. the species. Because yeah. why would he look human? But um, I kind of want to cosplay it just because then I would scare certain people. <laughs> yeah. Very specific people. Like, you, I don't think it would scare anybody. Okay, you would just would be like, oh my cringe. god, I'd get Everybody that. Would be like, 
I, I remember. You'd only scare them insofar as like they would remember the episode. Oh, you'd scare listeners God. of this podcast. I could run <laughs> around. No one remembers this episode. I could run around at a con and just sneak up on Trek people in uniform. <laughs> yes. Yes. Tap them on the shoulders. The only thing to fear is fear itself. He <laughs> <laughs> thinks I'm a virus. <laughs> So when they get inside the virtual world, they find the survivors, but they find that the world has been twisted um, into a world designed to capitalize on their fears. In fact, they meet a character who is played by Michael McKean. He's a, a clown-type character who is the embodiment uh, and personification of their fears. The rest of it is just an acid trip version of Cirque du Soleil. Pretty much. Low budget, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes. That, that was one thing that I really, like, I had to roll my eyes at. Did you this. compare it to original Trek? Or art, art yeah. I think, might have. Uh, yeah, Arthur did. And it's a valid comparison. It definitely looks mm-hmm. like when they would basically dress people up like 60s beatniks and call them aliens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like someone would play a lute in a corner, and that was like considered alien life. Yep. Sounds right. It felt a lot like that. Not to mention Mr. Home, Carol Striken, mm. in a rug. Great cameo. <laughs> <laughs> As like the weird skeleton playing Peter doll giant, monster. Uh, playing Peter Mayhew. Face. Yes, he was totally <laughs> playing Peter Mayhew. But yeah, that's that's what even was more lynchy because he's also in Twin Peaks mm. as a giant in a weird dream. He plays giants pretty well. Yes, he does. Yeah. yeah. Also, another uh, Star Trek um, familiar face. Yes. Except you couldn't see his face. Wow. But yeah. you knew it was him. Familiar you enough. <laughs> you don't have to see his face to know it's him. Mm. It's like yeah, that, that feeling that, that, that you feel in, inside. Feel like hum is near. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so what they find is that the world's been twisted, and the clown. What what is it exactly? It gets it's not a, fear fear it's monster. A, it's a fear monster. Sorry, what what is it actually though? Like they're in a computer simulated world, and it's sort of like a manifestation of their thoughts, but it's like a computer character it's, run by the computer. It's a positive feedback loop manifestation of their strongest emotion. The computer like misinterpreted what emotions it should be supporting, yeah. or something to that effect. Because it's supposed to take their desires and turn it into things, but it took their natural fear and fed on that. And well, so- they, they said the character developed over a period of months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it, it sort of was in the background. It's an anxiety disorder. It yeah. also, well, yeah, it makes sense because they were past their 15-year due date or whatever. That would cross the And they probably, they probably knew that. Yeah. But I... For a lot of the episode, Janeway is literally treated as if she's fighting like the fear god or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like you're not. It's a computer program. <laughs> yeah, no. It's not it's, it's not a bogger. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have not summoned this creature from the other plane. So, spoiler alert um, for how the episode ends, but she ends up confronting like the nature of fear. And that only works if you assume that somebody who was previously tied in has any sort of competence in terms of what fear is yeah most people don't like address fear in a in an analytical way in their lives at all do you know what the enterprise d had that this show doesn't a counselor yeah no. she would have been <laughs> so, good so in my notes, put in this program in, in my notes i have this is a reason to have at least one philosophy officer on board like philosopher yeah <laughs> <laughs> shut up philosopher baby <laughs> philosopher <laughs> Fla- Philosophy? Philosopher? Philosopher? It's a philosopher, you're right. I'm just saying. Philosopher driving. Like, get somebody who can perpetually exist on questions and throw them into a machine that feeds off of somebody's mental activity. Really, though, how often do they meet like existential quandaries in Star Trek? Like, where Surprisingly they confront, often. Where they confront, that's what I'm saying, they confront like the psyche itself or yeah. something. Yeah. That would be a useful role to have on a like starship. The crystalline entity. Yes. That, or like when um, the traveler warps them to the farthest reaches of space where thought becomes matter. And, like, <laughs> I volunteer for that role on a starship. That'd be fun. <laughs> You'd have the most interesting away missions because they're away missions of the mind. Everybody yeah. would hate you, though. So, so, you wouldn't be able to talk to anyone. You're they're like, what if we're all at a computer program? We know. <laughs> Shut up. We did that last week. <laughs> Basically, like, uh, you know, the cons- the like uh, sort of hackery concept of the logic bomb that you'll throw at an AI to confuse it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is just 
Bullshit. Yeah, this is basically that, (laughs) but in human form. (laughs) You just have to put garbage philosophy 101 into its brain. So it's a feedback loop. Yeah, all you need is an undergrad philosophy major. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to tell you about someone named Plato. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. No, no, no. Not not a philosophy major. You need to get somebody from the intro philosophy class. Yeah, yeah. You You need an engineering student who's taking a philosophy course. And feels like they're really hot shit about it. (laughs) If you get a major in there, they'll just be like, ugh, why do I care? That's the why. Below me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the punk ass kid that gets bored and decides to troll everybody in the TA session. Yeah, <laughs> I identify with that too much. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't send a philosopher; they send technicians who fail miserably. They find that they can't escape easily. Actually, they can leave whenever they want. They set an exit algorithm into the program that allows them to just press some buttons on a virtual console, but. Um, the Michael clown. So, yeah, I was going to so, say Michael McKean. I didn't want to <laughs> say it. Michael say McKean. You. Why? Why'd you do this? All right. So, so to be fair, you were in Spinal Tap. <laughs> to be fair, they couldn't push the buttons any time because they actually were physically restrained a couple times, which seems. How's physical restraint work in a virtual world? I know that kind of bugged me. They didn't. They didn't address that. Like the doctor got in fist fights with these programs. Yeah. What was happening programmatically when he did that? Yeah. Well, like mm-hmm. Bolana pushed her way past Michael McCain. Yeah. Why? Why was uh, in order to get to the console? Nobody restrained her. Right. But but in other times they were restrained or forced placed. It's it's not. It's clear. not consistent. Yeah. It's uh. It's but they a, can also teleport freely in the space. Like Michael Bikini can be anywhere in the room he needs to be to convey his thoughts. True, which is interesting considering that he only knows their thoughts a couple minutes after they think them. Yeah. That's an interesting programming limitation. Is that because of the number of people in the system? Oh, uh, there's actually a really good explanation for this. Oh, cool. It's the writers. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, same with the whole physical interaction thing. It, it's total bullshit. <laughs> it's, there's absolutely no, no need for it. To, to be fair, ultimately you have to be actors physically acting in the room. <laughs> like, there's only so much you can do to get metaphysical in <laughs> show with physical That's actors. So... Could you imagine that? <laughs> they need to bring back the animated series. I'm like, yeah. I just wanted them to be sitting down with the, like helmets on their heads and having thought battles. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's how it would happen in real life. That's why you need to watch the new Twin Peaks. Uh, <laughs> it's all I'm, I'm reminded of like Green Lantern, who's like unlimited in terms of his capabilities when he's like he's using his creativity, but all he does is make like guns and stuff. <laughs> like it's always the most boring things, and I'm just like, why couldn't they just get somebody in there who's like balls to the walls? Like I'm gonna have a mech suit. <laughs> like yep. I mean, granted, just Green probably, Lantern powered armor it would, and shit. It would break the budget on this episode, but I feel like it's deserved. But it goes to why you need a philosopher too, right? Yeah. Like they could they could think of something more interesting than like a terrestrial person exactly. who's like a guns to be, beat everybody. I'll just make a green gun. Yeah, mm-hmm. give him one of those like truth quandaries where he's just like oh you broke me i'm a broken computer program now like all of those other episodes where they do that yeah it's like russell's paradox just like throw russell's paradox at something and just like wait for it to kill itself yeah i like how you guys were doing really intellectual stuff and i'm sitting here thinking like i don't know he's a clown from (laughs) 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 just hit him with a piano i mean it's a physical room so they could just like stab him or something (laughs) (laughs) nobody tried that i'm so scared of knives green lantern knife thing if they just stab into him. That would be awesome. Why doesn't someone become Neo in this episode? Well, <laughs> we control the program so, from the inside. So speaking of knives... At one point, Michael McKean is going to slice, I forget who. Uh, he's Harry. going through Harry's series of fears one yeah. at a time. Uh, yeah. to basically, I guess he's just sort of playing the spread and, and seeing what sticks. Mm. Poor baby. He's like, oh, you're scared of being old, and of being a helpless baby, and of the hospitals, and of surgery. Mm. And so the surgery part uh, is where Michael McKean takes out the knife and puts on the surgical uh, mask and and starts like moving to, to cut into him. And then all of a sudden, the doctor shows up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because they can't figure out how to unplug people from the system, but they can figure out how to put their hologram program in the system yep. Yep. that's made designed with hu- to interface with human brains. Yeah. But the doctor takes the knife and then throws it away. Yep. Correct. Yes, he does. Yep. Okay. Perfect physical simulation <laughs> for reasons. <laughs> yep. That sounds, that sounds reasonable to me. Well, oh, okay, let's think about this, though. If they were put in this world designed to sustain them, and it was supposed to be like a pleasure world, it wouldn't be very pleasurable if they were just, like watching a TV screen of things happening. It needed to be interactive. So I had to 
do something that their brains could contemplate like physical interaction. Yeah, I, like I think a that that might even be the explanation for it. Oh yeah, no, I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not talking about like the the Why can he be stopped if he's like the fear monster? <laughs> like uh not really so much that. It's like if you're going to take the knife, why don't you try to stab him? It's fair. Um, they, they knew he was a simulation at that point. They yeah, heard word from Bellana. First, you know, harm though. Maybe the doctor couldn't do it. Well, but, oh, yeah. but the guy's not a person. Neither is the doctor. But this actually, <laughs> this <laughs> hologram boxing. <laughs> this would solve it. This actually brings me to another note that I took uh, about the simming problem. Uh, so I recently read uh, the Hydrogen Sonata uh, by Ian and Banks. It's in the Culture series. It's also linked below somehow. Yep. Yeah. Below in this physical world we call <laughs> <Below>. podcast. <laughs> uh, so I really enjoyed the book, and um, a fair amount of the uh, the culture series is based around these um, ridiculously powerful AIs, uh, and so these these AIs are essentially characters that you know have personalities and do things, um, and uh, in 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 the world. They are, you know, presumably afforded dignity and uh, moral rights and things like that. Uh, They're considered moral actors in their own right and all that. And so the the problem of simulating existing beings is brought up. And in order to, like, predict the outcomes of some events, these minds, uh, as they're called, uh, will occasionally, or, like, whoever has the capacity in terms of computing power will simulate other beings. Uh, once you have that simulation, it is essentially an AI itself, and, you know, to some, according to some people, should be afforded moral rights the same way that uh, any other strong AI would. Uh, so all of a sudden, inside of a computer, you have a civilization. Um, do you have the right to kill them? I think they covered that in Rick and Morty. <laughs> as many things oh yeah, so yeah i'm sure I'm, yeah they they well in rick and morty uh they actually created living breathing things in this problem you're creating ais i mean we should probably point out that this is not a new problem for voyager even they have the doctor who is an emergent ai who is afforded personhood pretty early on in the show at least by fellow crew members mm-hmm for some reason, the ship's computer, which has very limited logic capabilities for human interaction, can simulate a person mm-hmm. enough that they become emergent AI. They become a person. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not a new problem. Moriarty and Next Gen, similar problem. And yeah. they didn't really deal with it. No. I, I forget how they dealt with Moriarty. They tricked him. <laughs> but did they trick him in such a way that they killed him? No, or? they tricked him and, and just uh, turned his program off. So he still exists like it's in a deactivated state in the computer. But that begs the question about like deactivate, deactivating an AI. Is that an act comparable to murder? Well, well sorry, sorry. Like dismantling the program or deleting it would be murder. But in this case, it's turning off the program and suspending the program. So yeah. it can be resumed yeah, well, later. I, 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 see, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's a complicated philosophical it, It's kind of like imprisoning, imprisoning the program. Yeah, except you're not actually harming the person while they're in it. The person has no thoughts or right. experience of time. But you, you are completely removing their, their ability to act. Yeah. Well, I should say Moriarty did experience his offline time, it's, which is even weirder. But... <laughs> yeah. He came back in a later episode. Oh, God. Barkley accidentally <laughs> turns him on. Barkley. Broccoli. <laughs> Old Commander Broccoli. But yeah, they, uh, they trick him into thinking that he's been removed from the holodeck and goes off on a shuttlecraft into space, yeah. but it turns out that is itself a holodeck simulation. Yeah. I feel like he would notice. They So they basically, they tried to, I think within the holodeck, they changed it enough that it looked like the exit to the holodeck was there. Interesting. He wasn't as smart as he was supposed to be. Ah. Uh. Writers. Also, that that meta writers tangents again, but that episode is crazy because he gets created because of a poorly worded computer command where they ask it to make an arch nemesis to data as Sherlock Holmes comparable to data, yeah. and because they said the words comparable to data, it made an intelligent person with but, like individuality and they, like a soul. They, they made, it made an intelligent person that could just walk out of the holodeck. No, he couldn't. He couldn't walk out of the holodeck. That was oh, okay. the limitation. But they tricked him into thinking he could. Uh, that might have been in his second episode. It's a common issue that Star Trek doesn't seem to want to deal with, that they're accidentally creating people yeah. on their computers. Uh, yeah, I think um, one of the traps that it's easy to fall into is criticizing Star Trek 
for its scientific accuracy. Oh, yeah. It's like, they will hand wave shit all the time. It's true. If you think too hard about most things, it's just like, it ends up being this bullshit. Yeah, it's like, uh, deflector and the positrons and whatever. It's, uh, the writer said it's, uh, yeah, that's that's how it is. Someone needs to say a thing to change the conditions such that we get out. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's like a glossary of like technobabble that Mm. they can just be like, that word sounds good. All right, throw Mm -hmm. that in there. Nobody knows what it means. But like, a positron is just an anti-electron, and because it is antimatter, whenever it touches anything, it, it it annihilates and creates energy, and that's that's just it. So how does Data's positronic brain work? It doesn't. <laughs> There's nothing there. I mean, you can you can do stuff with antimatter, uh, but it's only really useful as a weapon, <laughs> right? Interesting. But it sounds cool when you say positronic matrix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a big part of it. <laughs> yes. But no, like the whole point of Star Trek has always been to, and sci-fi really, has been to create allegory, to tell stories that make us understand more about our own world. Right. Mm-hmm. So the set piece of sci-fi, it's like, yeah, they're going to have dumb techno babble that doesn't line up. But the whole point is to put you in a different setting so you're more open to these ideas than you would be if they just like give you a lesson saying you should think this way, you shouldn't be mean to other people. Like mm-hmm. instead, let's have a race of people who behave this way and use it as an example. On the other hand, we now have medical tricorders and tablet computers, and we can talk to our computers and tell them to do things. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And so, I love that that Voyager episode in the '90s basically has that as a plot line. Yes, mm-hmm. where like the sci-fi of Star Trek influenced the Silicon Revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely true that the science of the, uh, I'm air quotes, air quotes science of Star Trek has influenced how we in real life, like, think about how the future will be, mm-hmm. uh, think about how the direction of technology is going. Like, the fact that Star Trek originally was in the 60s uh, when the space age was uh, was a new thing in living memory, um it it really like you you can talk to NASA scientists nowadays um, who are you know baby boomers or whatever they grew up on Star Trek uh, and it 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 it's definitely had a lot of influence on how technology and science have developed. It's kind of wonderful and kind of scary. Yep, it's definitely a positive force on the world in ways that I can't imagine the writers conceived when they made up Star well, Trek. Roddenberry's idea. He was very idealistic. Yeah. Um, whether the writers proper like had actual had um, thoughts about how yeah. they would eventually influence things. Though. Actually, now, apparently they fought I mean, against him quite a bit, especially in Next Gen, because he didn't want people to have conflict in the future. Mm. But they're like, like you actually mentioned earlier, you need conflict for drama. Well, <laughs> so I'm, it always had to be external. But I'm, Starfleet had to be like this this perfect sense of how humans behave, but there was no room for inner drama with those kind of stories. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, so it actually changed quite a bit when he passed away. And they were able to tell more stories with imperfect Federation people. Yeah, I'm not dedicated to the idea that um, that interpersonal conflict is the only thing that can drive a, a story. I think it, it's incredibly useful, and you can tell a lot of great stories using conflict. Um, but I'm definitely not like dedicated to it being the um, the only way to do it. Uh, it just happens to be a really, really cheap way to do it. Sure. Um, I don't know about specifically interpersonal, but you need some form of conflict. Yeah. yeah. And you can't always have the humans just be the bastions of good. Like, yeah. there has to be some imperfection to to learn something more about a person. Like, they can't just be perfect gods that, yeah. that visit upon the lower races. Like, right. That's conflict, not an interesting story. Yeah, conflict can come in the form of, I want something, but I can't have it because we're not there or something. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the... Uh, my understanding is that a lot of TOS and TNG conflicts were misunderstandings. Like, a Farpoint, I think, is a really good example mm-hmm. where everyone just had kind of no idea what was going on. And mm-hmm. then by the end, by the for the resolution of the story, uh, everyone just sort of understands what's going on. Yeah. So the Doctor enters the program in an effort to free Harry and the aliens. But the clown says no, so... They're at an impasse. Right, because the well, the clown can't register the doctor because the doctor is a hologram. Right, he's not plugged in the same way that people are. Right, which obviously they couldn't have predicted that they wouldn't be able to escape this computer clown. But really, to be safe, they should have probably just thought of sending the doctor in there first. Yeah, it seems weird that they figured out how to do that when it was way too late. Yeah. <laughs> right. So something I didn't understand is why didn't they just send in like a hundred doctors? 
They don't I mean, have a hundred doctors. Well, but so where is the doctor actually in this? Is the doctor being supported by the stasis? Po- is it is it he in their technology? So at or this point he- in the show, I think they establish in canon that the doctor cannot be transferred off of Voyager. That the Voyager computer actually does run his program. Okay, what if they take all the people from that Irish town that I hate and then they dump <laughs> them in there? Right. What help would they provide? No, just fill it with bodies. It like, could be interesting if they Irish took all bodies. the <laughs> just sort of like spamming the system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be interesting to like overload it so that they're confused. That would be the distraction that they were asking for in the episode. That Maybe. is kind of essentially what they did. With they one just, person, like, yeah, with with, with one person, with one person that that they never met before. Well, that, that's an important thing to bring up is is eventually through some back and forth that I'm going to skip because some of that stuff wasn't that interesting where they're like turning off the system slowly and then they don't. Except for that really creepy moment where Michael McKean was getting touchy feely with Harry. Yes, I, I definitely thought they were buddying up a little bit. Yeah, or could have. <laughs> He's like, we'll get real close. We'll be colleagues. Yep. It was a little weird. I bet there's fanfic about that. Or if there's not, there will be. <laughs> Throughout all this, the clown is learning about Captain Janeway through Harry's memories and through the Doctor's conversations, and he becomes allured by the concept of this strong personality. And so, eventually, they offer to take all the people out of the system to save them and replace them with Captain Janeway, which he almost immediately accepts. Yeah, he jumps mm-hmm. at it. Whereas earlier, they show him deliberating over different negotiation things, like, oh, Janeway, I've heard she's cool. Let's go for it. And he also refuses to allow less than, what, two people? He didn't want to have only one person running the system because he would have no assurance that he could carry on if they eventually died, which they would. But if that one person is Janeway... He was okay with it. Yeah, apparently that was totally cool. Right. So, I'm just like, what does it say about Harry's interpretation of Janeway that... He's like idolizing her Mm -hmm. in a way that we don't really see his character act elsewhere in the show. probably called her mom more than once. It, it, it creates a weird dynamic. On the holodeck. Uh, <laughs> in special simulations. Uh, <laughs> That's the fear. <laughs> That's Michael McKean taking home. Oh my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. Yes. I think I'll, I'll read your fanfic later tonight yep. when you write it. Yep. <laughs> Linked below. It'll be linked below. <laughs> I'm really worried that every episode is going to result in Jen writing fanfic. Why would what, you be why worried you, about yeah, that? Yeah, I don't. I don't see anticipating. This anticipating. <laughs> this is, clearly, you haven't read some. <laughs> this podcast might be the thing that makes me jump fandoms for my fic. Slow <laughs> yep. hung supernatural. You're going all Voyager. Ooh, that, that'd be a fun crossover. Oh dear God. <laughs> mm. There's some potential here. They would be oh, the worst no. Starfleet Carry officers ever. Carry my <laughs> wayward starship. <laughs> been a long road getting from there to here. Oh no. <laughs> it's good. It's already good. <laughs> it's perfect. Janeway plugs in. Uh, the prisoners are freed. And then the clown learns that Janeway is actually just a simulation. Apparently they took a lot of time to program a Janeway hologram. Mm-hmm. That can perfectly simulate how she behaves and talks and gave her the speech well, on fear. Wait, wait, it doesn't have to be perfect. Time out. Pretty good. Time out. Was, I was full. Like, Tuvok already programmed. That's true. A Janeway. But and they don't that, know about it yet. They don't have access to that program. They don't know about it, that but it's there. It's offline somewhere. It was Tuvok's idea in the first place. Well, That's true. Tuvok probably programmed right. it. Well, a lot of... <laughs> Budding hologram programmer yeah. Tuvok. It's like, how did you come up with this Janeway so quickly? My thing watching the episode, watching the Thaw, this episode, the one that we're supposed to be talking about, my issue watching that is I couldn't tell if she was bluffing or not when she said, like, I'm I'm a simulation, but the actual Janeway is hooked up, but not actually in. She's not LinkedIn, but she sort of is. And I was like, are you bluffing? She gets the LinkedIn emails, but she doesn't have an account. (laughs) They're all just the invites to, to join. <laughs> you can't, so get, you can't escape the invites. You're right, though. She kind of made him just, like, clinically depressed. Well, she killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she well sorry. He she died, and she basically stood by. Yeah. yeah. And that was fucking harsh. He sort of... He just disappeared when there weren't any, like, actual... There brain. were no human brains feeding his, his yeah. programming. Yeah, she right. entered the Black Lodge. <laughs> Which shows that he's not He's not an independent AI. He's fully dependent on... on Input from brain stimulus. Yeah, and that was established. Yeah, yeah, but but I'm we talk about the rights of like emergent AI. He's not an AI. He's actually an amalgamation of three or five brains. That's that's fine enough. But really, like there was mix. nothing. <laughs> even if Janeway herself did go in there, there's nothing stopping her from leaving. 
Because he didn't have anything to hold over her. She wasn't bound in the system like the others had been. That, but, but like, when they were going to leave the first time, he's like, you can't leave, I'm going to kill somebody. Oh, you're saying he wouldn't have had any uh, leverage for her when she was the last one. Because they still have the exit program. Right. That's a good point. Hmm. (laughs) This is a badly written episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Shit. They did a bad job writing this. Another thing is, um, the the whole uh, mechanism that... Janeway was a uh, a simulation at the end, or you know whatever. However, it wound up being that wasn't established. I mean, they said it. I they mean, said, she said, "I'm not Captain Janeway. I'm a holographic." Simulation. Yeah, but it wasn't established any other time in the episode. I mean, besides right. sending it was the a, doctor, so it was it was like it, it was a twist that they tried to put in, but it just came off as like yeah. Dave's ex machina. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they do talk about how a computerized brain probably wouldn't be able to do the same thing and that he needs human brain waves. They send the doctor in there. But there was no scene where there was anything telegraphed that suggested they had this idea where we're pursuing another plan. That's they actually made it look like to the audience that Jamie was being plugged in to sacrifice herself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so they made no indication a, that it was a different kind of connection. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a gotcha for the audience. I don't know how much payoff that gotcha had. Yeah, I don't. I, I really it was, don't. I, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't feel any like concern that Janeway was going to be trapped there forever yeah. to yeah, begin no, with. No, mm-hmm. there were no stakes. Right. It's it's hard when you have a show like this where obviously, unless someone decides to leave, they're going to be on that show for seven years. Right. So you know they're not going to die like, at the end of an episode. That would be a crazy well, twist. Unless like, you're Tasha Yar. Like, like I said, unless you leave the show. <laughs> I mean, at a meta level, yeah, uh, it doesn't. It wouldn't make sense for a main character to die unless it's Harry Kim. But even then, you can make you can make a compelling drama with a risk of life. I just don't think they pulled it off. No. Yeah, I, I feel for me the big hang up. I mean, so so I actually was kind of tricked because I was like, I don't know if she's actually in there and bluffing or not. But for me, it kind of fizzled out because so the, the very last moment, well, not the last moment because it fades to black, but the last moment before like fear ends up fading away is her in a stasis pod and she's blinking and i'm like so did she just wake up or is she has she been like that right and i was just confused and that's how it fizzled yeah i think it was poorly presented they should have had some kind of mention of a janeway hologram at the beginning of the episode or something to tie it back this is basically my problem of uh, the whole thing just wasn't established like the the only explanation you get at the end is Janeway literally telling Michael McKean and the audience right. exactly what is going on. Right. It's like, well, that's that's a lazy way to write it. Suggestion. Exactly. Instead of Harry Kim practicing the clarinet, they're in the holodeck programming some sort of thing. Yeah. And they have a Janeway hologram. That, they're... Uh, that I think that would have been a much better way to start it. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Like, oh, hey, uh... Hey Harry, uh, I'm Tom Paris. Uh, that's a that's a really interesting little simulation of the captain you got going on there. I think it'd be funny it's if they actually for normal reasons. I will say I've seen. <laughs> I have to say though, I've seen Star Trek do exactly what you're saying very very badly. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the drunk episode of Next Gen? Which what? The episode of Next Gen where everyone gets drunk. It's the second episode of the series, which is the worst idea ever. Oh, I do know what you're talking about. I think I do. They basically get infected by this pathogen that causes them to act like they're they're, um, impaired by alcohol. Um, And in the beginning of the episode, um, Wesley is building a toy retract like tractor beam yeah and repulsor beam and he's like oh i could scale this up to the ship and then they have to use that tech to save the day at the very end yeah so i mean it's a Chekhov's gun but i think it would be funny if like the janeway hologram in the very beginning of the episode didn't actually look that much like janeway <laughs> if it was like the mirror mirror verse version of janeway and then when she like walks into the simulation at the end everybody's like lol <laughs> <laughs> well, that, or maybe sounds... had some kind of visual tick or giveaway that happens right before she literally telegraphs yeah. it yeah, yeah. that could or be interesting just don't don't like don't don't have it explained at all just just have that tick there and like uh, also did it need to be a hologram like if no. they could have her partially connected couldn't they have her connected enough to communicate but not enough to be like downloaded yeah like have her connected but awake like that that i think would actually be better because they've established that they can modify the pods at that point and that's a more reasonable modification than also we sent in a hologram that we programmed yeah that oh, makes on the sense. side uh a better way to do it would have would be to have uh robert picardo walk in with a, a wig yeah, yeah. i agree jane drag yeah 
We solved this one. Serving Janeway. Like, or, or it looks perfect and then it flickers into the doctor. Gotcha. Because <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't tell that the doctor wasn't a person until he tried to read his brain. So yeah. it works there too. Whatever, he's used to it by now. <laughs> so the clown disappears, and I think that just wraps the episode, right? Yep. They, they yeah, murdered me eye today. Felt, can, felt real can good. Can we just make this podcast series be shit happening to Harry? Like, <laughs> can that just be the name of the podcast? Isn't that and Voyager, like, oh. <laughs> It's a lot of Voyager. To yeah. the point where in the series finale, in the future, there's an, a, Harry's finally the captain of like... What was it, an intrepid class or sovereign class, like the same yeah. ship in the new newer next gen movies? He's a captain in that alternate timeline. Jane was like, "Screw this, we're switching the timeline, ends <laughs> yeah. and forever." You're, you're getting demoted <laughs> again. So, what do we think about this? Like, okay, here's my question: What are we supposed to think about this episode? The episode. Um, and if we think that Trek is generally trying to have larger messages about society or life as a person or yeah. the I, limits of humanity, yeah. like. What are we supposed to take from this? It struck me as a kind of Picardy moment where it's like, I outsmarted the computer. I saved the day. And it's like, yeah, she did, I guess. So the theme of the episode is Janeway is great, even though she's hardly in the episode. Right. Yeah. <laughs> True. So, Don't worry, I'm awesome. I'll fix this. So my interpretation is one of the writers has an anxiety disorder and went and got therapy basically like a month in advance of writing this. Mm, like this is good inspiration. They're like, I got my fucking canned thing that I'm going to hand in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And apparently they fear clowns. Yeah, I stand by all, my. They watched all of Twin Peaks. <laughs> clown fear is apparently galactic. It is. Like aliens fear clowns. Yeah, clowns. Like, are... okay, watched Twin Peaks, had anxiety disorder, took some drugs. Yeah, those things all go together. Yeah, I want to know who wrote this episode now. Do we want to say things like that on the podcast? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to put them. I'm not going to say it. I'm just curious. Blast. I'm just. I'm just. <laughs> I thought. I mean. I appreciate the uh, the theme of fear. I'm generally interested in horror. I, I know movies like The Cell and um, Inception didn't come out until after this. Inspired uh, by this episode, obviously. Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. I, I, I like the idea of playing with fear as, um, as an adversary, sort of using the mind as an environment to sort of play around in. I don't think anyone has ever done it weird enough for me. I, I think um, the movie Paprika might be Ooh. closer to my standard for like weirdness. I mean, and animation lets them not have as many boundaries and exactly. how you tell that kind of story. And they did a very good job with it. So yeah. you're saying this episode wasn't weird enough for you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should try harder. Agreed. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I think a lot of that can be chalked up to budget. Like, yeah. with, the, with a set like that and with those costumes. For an episode of one week. Like, it's yeah. Yeah. pretty weird. Though. Well, you have to throw it together. <laughs> yeah. The concept was not weird, but the episode in itself was... Yeah. My, my memory of Voyager episodes is very sort of... It gets generalized around seasons where like, oh, this season had more of this kind of story and this season was the first one, so it was kind of rocky. Sure. This feels like a season two episode. Like, there were a lot of episodes that weren't really connected to each other in interesting ways and nothing really came out of them in terms of story. They were just ways to make episodes every week sometimes. And I think it would have been a lot stronger of an episode considering we saw a litany of Harry Kim's fears if Harry Kim was the one... To stand up to fear at the See, end. Fears, fear is yeah. the yeah. perfect mechanism to get an inside look on a character, and I think that they flubbed it. Yeah. His whole fear sequence was like two minutes long. Yeah, because yeah. we just have mom saving him at the end. You could have totally had this been a Harry Kim-centric episode, where he gets trapped in that world, and you really dig into his deepest anxieties. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the um, Michael McKean name drops Libby, his girlfriend, and mm-hmm. things like that, but it doesn't get explored. Instead, he gets these base fears that are, like, universal. Right, yeah. It's like, well, oh, you're scared of mental hospitals? It's uh. like, we don't really come away learning anything about <laughs> Harry as a character from no. that. I feel like they didn't really develop his character... I want to say until X, and I have no idea when that is. Um, you're right. In in the episode where they have the slip slipstream drive, and Which there's one? that shut up. <laughs> the one where they crash, the Voyager crashes into the ice planet. Timeless. Thank you. In that, he's a little bit more complex, and he's got issues, and he's you know. So I I like when he's grizzled because it feels like he's a more complicated person. Right. Not just like the the happy guy that a bunch of things shit on. 
even at the base level as an ensign, he still is a graduate from Starfleet Academy. Like, you'd think that some of those things would at least be imparted, but no, he's... You'd think he could be able to hit that G chord. You'd think, <laughs> you would think. You don't play chords on a clarinet. Whatever. <laughs> G sharp, G, I think, oh, said. Just yeah. hit the G sharp note. Yeah. I can hit that. <laughs> Anybody can hit it. Let's hear it. Let's hear your G sharp, your pitch perfect G sharp. Me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not the musician of the group. <laughs> Final thoughts? How do you think this episode ranks? On a scale of what? We have no scale yet, so <laughs> <laughs> on your own personal scale, uh, let's let's say in the Voyager canon. Three out of five Kims. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first. This is the first car on the Top Gear scale. This defines all the other scales. How many thaws was this episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess one. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's it's how the this, baseline. This is Star one thaw. Why is this happening to us? Why did we start with the thaw? Is it a log scale? <laughs> if, it, if it was a holodeck, a holodeck program, I would not play it. Would not, would not hollow novel. I would not hollow hollow novel. No. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So you would have just left the aliens behind and, and yeah, walked off to Earth. No, everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's time we all mind our own business. We got shit to do. Space cuffs. Sheesh. You just want like Renegade. Yeah, that's true. I would watch a Renegade run to Voyager. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's basically the Equinox. That's Equinox yeah. Yeah. So yeah, on the scale, this is one the thaw. Yeah, this is bad. <laughs> I don't like this episode. I like this episode, I, but I think it's weird. I like it because it's weird. But I think weird is a good way to kick off. Like it's like a it's like a palate cleanser. Yes. And that's our discussion of the thaw. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your patience as we work on our show's structure and plan future recordings. Speaking of which, temporal timekeeper Mario has selected next week's assigned episode. Next week, we'll be discussing Season 5, Episode 14, Bliss. Go watch it already. Until then, this has been Salamander Babies. Show notes for this episode can be found at salamanderbabies.com one. Visit salamanderbabies.com for the podcast link and to check out other episodes as we post them. We'll be posting a behind-the-scenes episode where we discuss more of our background as Voyager fans and what each of us hopes to bring to the table, so stay tuned for that. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out on Twitter at salamandertrek or email us at hellocomputer at salamanderbabies.com. Computer and program.